0: Welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. We believe God wants to speak into your life through this message. If you're interested in knowing more about Celebration Church, you can visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com and find us on Instagram and Facebook at celebrationedm. EDM.
1: Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message. I just want to say what I said at the first service, which is, you know, you, you, as a, the preacher can have education, can have verbal abilities, can, you know, prance around the stage, do whatever. But really, unless the Holy Spirit shows up, nothing of any value is going to happen. But I want to say this, that uh, the Word of God is living an act that's powerful, more powerful than any two-edged sword. It cuts the edge of your heart. And uh, that's why there's such an attack on the Word of God today. You know, in this church, we're here to construct your faith. If you know English, that's the opposite of deconstruct. We don't believe in that. Matter of fact, I have another word for it. It's backsliding. Uh, I understand people struggle, but let me tell you, all the years of study, three theology degrees and all the rest of it, I went into it and came out of it with the same conviction. There's no error in the Word of God. There's no error in the Word of God. So if you have a problem with the Bible, it's you that's got the problem, not the Bible. So why don't you just relax and let God speak to you by his word and you will find your life changed. And so I I find that when the Holy Spirit begins to move, we understand the Holy Spirit moving in worship, but when the Holy Spirit begins to move, when the word of God is preached and the spirit of God comes down, lives are changed. And I, I just hope and pray that this morning that God meets you. And he will apply, God has this extraordinary ability to apply the same word in all sorts of different ways. And so you come here this morning, you you represent a multitude of different situations and needs and experiences. Well, God is here to speak to you. There's no reason when the word of God is not open that every single person can't get something out of it. And I pray that will happen. So Holy Spirit, we invite you here. We welcome you. We ask that you would come, because if you're not here, either to help me speak or to help us listen, then we're lost. But thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here. And so we pray that the preaching of your word would be effective and effectual this morning and would plant seeds of hope and revelation in our lives as we go forth in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, from uh, 1994 to 1996, uh, Elaine and I lived through along with many others an extraordinary visitation of God. We were on the ministry team at Toronto Airport Church. We prayed for thousands of people coming to God from all over the world. Plane loads were coming in. It was the biggest tourist attraction in Toronto in 1994. Over 1 million people came through the doors of that church. And we drove hundreds and I can't think how many miles we drove up and down the highway from where we lived in the city of Owen Sound to uh, the smaller city of Toronto. No, I got that backwards. Uh, and often we would come home in the early hours of the morning. We would be praying for people to one or two o'clock. And it was just, we, we'd have strollers, you know, with the eight kids. Uh, Elena would be going like this with the stroller and praying for some Korean pastor with 20,000 people in his church. It was an absolutely amazing experience. And that was wonderful. But uh, uh, a couple years later, I found myself in a place of just despair. People we poured our lives into, many of those who had, had been radically touched by the power of God, one by one, they left our church. And it wasn't even that they left our church to go somewhere else. They just went, left our church and went nowhere. Marriages started to break up. And one day I found myself walking down the driveway, carrying the garbage out. And I was in a place of complete despair. But in that moment, in the mercy of God, I heard the voice of God. And what I heard God say in a low whisper, I call this message the thin silence of God. You'll hear why before we finish. But I heard God speaking in a low whisper. Just keep putting one foot ahead of another. You know what? That saved my life. You don't have to have a dramatic prophetic word. I've had them. I've given some. You hope for the best. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, uh, we could tell you stories of where the prophetic has taken us, but that word kept me. It was just just put one foot ahead of another. How ordinary is that? But you know what? That's what many of us need to hear as long as you're moving forward, you're good. You don't have to be running. You don't have to be experiencing all sorts of blessing. There are lots of days when you just need to move ahead. Don't stop whatever you do. I used to run a lot, and uh, the one thing I would never do, I would slow down, but I never stop, just out of stubbornness. And so just keep moving ahead. And so I had this word, God spoke to me, I got to the end of the driveway, and somehow, over a period of weeks and months, it gradually got better, and God met me. And uh, this low whisper, that's what this message is about. Now, uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, I'll just read a few verses, and uh, here's Ahab. He's just come down off of Mount Carmel where he had this incredible confrontation with the prophets of Baal and Asherah and the fire of God came down. The prophets got slaughtered, the false prophets and, uh, uh, and so on. And, and here's the scripture. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Jezebel was, Ahab was the wicked king. Jezebel was the wicked queen. They're coming down off this thing of Mount Carmel. All Jezebel's prophets have been killed. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I don't make your life as one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he rose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die. This is the man that had just seen this incredible miracle, right? This is what puzzled me. Like, where, how did he get into this predicament? He asked that he might die, saying, It's enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under the broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said, Rise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel came a second time, touched him and said, rise and eat, the journey is too great for you. And he rose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. Now, just reading these verses, I really encourage you to go read the whole passage sometime later today. But basically, by the word of the Lord through Elijah, there had been no rain in the land for about three years. And then the word of the Lord came again. The drought was about to end. Elijah through Elijah, God had been controlling the weather for three years. And in an agricultural economy, that meant God was controlling the entire economy. I was judgment against the wicked rule of Ahab and Jezebel. And Elijah was uh, hiding out. The king kept sending soldiers to kill him. Fire kept coming down on them and so on. But in the end, God comes to Elijah and says, don't be afraid. Here to show yourself to Ahab. And so Elijah and Ahab have this big meeting. And in that meeting, he sets up this confrontation on top of Mount Carmel between himself and all these prophets of Baal and Asherah. And the God who answers by fire, he's God. And let me tell you: if neither the fire had not fallen on either sacrifice, Elijah was 450 to 1, he would have been dead meat. So he needed God. The prophets of Baal you know, would have survived, but Elijah needed God to do a miracle, and God did do an extraordinary miracle, and so this story unfolds as one of the most powerful accounts in the Bible of the confrontation of good and evil, and God miraculously moves to destroy the power of the enemy, and then Elijah pronounces the end of the drought and the coming of the rain, and Ahab has to rush back into the city, break the speed limit, and so on, in order to avoid being caught in the deluge, And so it looked like the battle was over, except it wasn't, because there was Jezebel. And Jezebel was a witch. She operated an extraordinary measure, demonic power. And uh, Elijah's victory, because of the power that she held, it didn't so much terrify her as it infuriated her. And in response, she orders Elijah's execution. Now, At this very point in the story, you would expect the word of the Lord to come again to Elijah. He'd lived by the word of the Lord and seen miracles by the word of the Lord. But it didn't. Instead, the scripture says, he was consumed by fear and he ran for his life. That teaches us something pretty significant. If faith is the key to triumph over fear, that means fear is the greatest obstacle to you being able to hear from God. And Elijah, who if anyone could hear from God, it was Elijah. When he fell into fear, he couldn't hear from God. As long as you can still hear from God. Revelation 19 and 10 says, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus in context in the book of Revelation, we'll talk about that a bit more tonight. The testimony of Jesus is your witness to Jesus. Every single Christian is one who testifies to Jesus. So the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So if you testify to Jesus, you have the spirit of prophecy. We're a prophetic people. That's really what that verse means. We are a prophetic people. You say, okay, Dave, well, what does that mean? Well, what being a prophetic people means is we can hear from God. Basically, that's what it means. When I got at a dramatic, powerful encounter with the Holy Spirit when I was a young Christian back decades ago, you think that's hardly possible, seeing as I'm only 39. But anyway, <laughs> uh, my wife is 28. <laughs> uh, she is quite a bit younger than me. Um, when I had this powerful encounter with, with God, which, which at the time I was fighting against, I didn't even believe in it. I didn't want it. But God met me. And, I, and, and, and when it happened, I started knowing things that were going to happen before they happened. And it took me four times in two weeks this happened. And every time something really significant and supernatural happened. And I realized and I knew it was going to happen before it happened. And the penny dropped. And I, I was like, you know, the boy, Samuel, uh, speak, Lord, for your servant heareth. Kept hearing the voice, didn't know what it was. I realized it was a voice of God. We can all hear the voice of God. Sometimes it's quite dramatic, but what saved me on that one occasion that I shared with you was just put one foot ahead of another. Can I just encourage you, you can hear from God. You're a prophetic people. It's not just, well, we're gonna bring a prophet in. He'll stand and shake and rattle and roll and fire come down and whatever. And he'll say, thus saith the Lord, and add a few syllables and shake a bit. That's very impressive. (laughs) No, <laughs> no, You're, you can all hear God. Yeah. Yes, there is a prophetic gift, we honor that, but you can all hear God. Yeah. The devil will tell you, of course, you see, this is the thing, that there's certain people that believe the gifts of the Spirit don't exist and we can't hear from God anymore, but they'll tell you, oh, you can hear from the devil, he's tempting you, telling you to do this, that, and that. And yeah. well, I think to myself, what kind of God do we have yeah. where we can hear from the devil and we can't hear from God himself? so look, folks, listen. I I knew a man that had most extraordinary ministry in the Word of Knowledge, incredible ministry. you would hardly believe it. And I said, what's your secret? And he said, I I just listen. Do you listen? Do you listen? Well, uh, here we go. Back to the story. Um, So Elijah got cut off from the one thing that was his life source, which was he couldn't hear from God because of the fear that came in. And so he flees to Beersheba, the text says. Now that was 120 miles south of Mount Carmel. It was as far away as you could get without leaving the boundaries of the nation. So he fled as far as he could go. And then he prays that God would take his life. He's depressed. It's enough, Lord. I've sacrificed enough. I've reached my limit. Thank God Jesus didn't take that attitude When he faced Calvary, you 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 can't go to God and say, "I've done enough, Lord." Enjoy your pity party. There's never a reason to limit your serving of God. Now, so my psychologist friend, who lives in Lethbridge, tells me that the root of most depression—not all of it, but most of it—is anger. We're mad at somebody, and we repress it. We won't admit it, and then it comes out in the form of depression. And I think. Elijah was mad at God. And he goes back to God and says, It's enough. I've done all this. I've done that. I've done the next thing for you. And you have not met my expectations. Anyone here ever got mad at God because he didn't fulfill your expectations? No, I know no one. No one here at all. (laughs) Let me tell you, you know, if you're angry at God, just be honest. I'll give you a hint God actually knows anyway. You know? So, just be honest with God. David was. The Psalms are full of it. Say, Lord, here's my anger. Here's my disappointment. I lay at your feet. Please help me. That's healthy. So Elijah was depressed. And, but God's so gracious. He sends an angel with a sub sandwich and a coffee. <laughs> How many times has God sent somebody, sent somebody to feed you when you were ready to give up? You know that's a good reason to be in church. It's great to see a full house this morning over this pandemic. I, 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 we were talking, Dennis and me, I were talking in the break. We have friends, good friends, have been in church all their life. Now they're not in church anymore. They're just watching online. I know there's some people that can't get out, they're shut-ins, they're this or that. I understand that. Thank God we have the online capacity. But there's a lot of people who have just dropped out. They're a bedside Baptist. (laughs) You know, we need the body. Because how many times has someone sent, has someone come and helped you when you were in need? Did you ever notice that was somebody else in the church? It's because you're in church, because you're gathered together. We don't go to church for legalistic reasons, you know, because God's taking attendance. We go to church because we need the body of Christ. At least I do. I'll tell you what, churches that were just one big smoke and mirrors and big Sunday morning show lost a lot of people in COVID. Churches that had community lost some people that maybe were there for the smoke and mirrors, but weren't there for the community. If you're here for the community, you're here. And there are a lot of churches we go to where new people have come in that are hungry for more than the people who left. I hope that's not too controversial, Dennis. I've said it anyways. He's got a button there, and if I disappear in the trap door... Okay. You know, one theologian said... God meets us at the screaming point. It's true, isn't it? If you feel you're at the screaming point, don't feel you've, you're a failure. You're just normal. You need God. I need God. I'm trying to tell you this morning, I'm not here to preach a big whole thing about, you know, I'm all that in a bucket of chicken. I'm the guy that was carrying the garbage down the driveway ready to give up, and I was a preacher. And God met me in his mercy at the screaming point. So back to Elijah. Elijah has lost control. He's got no plan left. But God doesn't have that problem. I always say God has a problem. He thinks he's God. It'll take a minute for you to get that, but you'll get it. So just when you think it's all over, God has a way of reminding you he's still in charge. So God's never short of a plan. Elijah is in depression. He's falling asleep. He's done. He's had it. But God has a plan. God always has a plan. If you are in despair this morning, you're discouraged this morning, you think, I have no way out of this. I don't see the way ahead. Be encouraged. God has a plan. He is more committed to your life than you are. He's more invested in your life than you are. He has a plan. And so the angel comes. So the angel comes, Uh, I mean, I believe in a sovereign God. People call me a Calvinist, so that's fine. If it means that I believe in a sovereign God and a big God and a great God who can do anything he wants and is in charge. You know, I don't believe that the devil is running this world. I don't believe that God has to take the church out because he's lost control. I believe that God has a sovereign plan you know, there is not one square inch of this world over which Christ does not cry, "Mine." Yeah. Yeah. And a good Calvinist called Abraham Kuyper said that a hundred years ago. You know what? He put it into practice. There wasn't a, a a good university, so he founded one, the Free University of Amsterdam. There wasn't a good political party, so he founded one. He became prime minister. He was a preacher. And he said, there's not one square inch. Founded the Christian school movement. There's not one square inch of this creation over which Christ does not cry mine. God is in control. I'm encouraging I'm encouraging you this morning, folks. I'm doing my best. <laughs> so just when you think it's all over, like I did carrying the garbage down the driveway, God has a way of reminding you. He's in charge. So the angel comes and commands him to go to Mount Horrid. Now, interestingly... Mount Horeb is another name for Mount Sinai. That's significant. It was 250 miles from Beersheba. It's a long way. But what's really significant is how long it took him to get there. It was 40 days. That's a very, very significant number in the Bible. It immediately links Elijah with the 40 days Moses spent on the very same mountain, 500 years earlier. And the 40 years Israel spent in the wilderness. Forty is the number of failure. But it turns out to be, as this story progresses, the number of the presence of God. In the midst of Elijah's failure, God is about to show up. He will show up in the midst of your failure. That's good news. Failure is only the gateway to success. Now, the wilderness in the Bible is the place of God's protection in between the place of spiritual bondage and the place of ultimate deliverance. So it's a place of protection. It's a place of temptation and attack at the same time. And the book of Revelation tells us it's the place in which the church lives between the resurrection of Christ and his return. That's where we are. So this is really important. What happens here to Elijah? Because in one sense, we're all living in the wilderness. And the story is about to show us that it's not on Mount Carmel, but it's in the wilderness that God shows up. That's an encouragement for those of you who feel in the wilderness this morning. And how many days, I ask you, did Jesus spend in the wilderness? Oh, that's just a coincidence. Forty. No, you see, Jesus succeeded where Israel failed. When Satan encountered Jesus in those 40 days in the wilderness, three times Satan tempted him, three times Jesus quoted the text of Deuteronomy, which were words that God had spoken to Moses on Mount Sinai 500 years before, more than 500 years before by the time Jesus, three times Jesus quotes the text of Deuteronomy where God had given commands to Israel in the wilderness. And here was the three times. Israel had looked back to the food of Egypt and despised the manna. But Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Test number two, Israel tested God at the waters of Meribah and Massah, but Jesus refused to put God to the test. Shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Number three, Israel entered into idolatry, golden calf. But Jesus told the devil, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only. What was the significance of all that? Quoting of Deuteronomy. Jesus took the three major tests where Israel had failed and he passed them. In 40 days, Jesus succeeded in the same surroundings in which Israel had taken 40 years to fail. Jesus turned the number 40 from a symbol of human failure to the place of victory. And... So It's significant when God takes Elijah in his moment of failure to the wilderness and to Mount Sinai. And in that place, the word of the Lord comes back. It's restored to Elijah. But it comes as a question. What are you doing here, Elijah? Well, I think we understand that God wasn't looking for information. He was trying to draw out of Elijah's heart what Elijah refused to admit. He was trying to get it out of him and out on the table, but Elijah wasn't still quite there Uh, because instead of sort of saying, well, God, I've lost sight of you, uh, fallen into fear, I'm so sorry, help me, he says, God, I've done all this for you, and now you've left me alone, which wasn't true, and my enemies are trying to kill me. So through his anger and self-pity, Elijah had lost track of the spiritual reality that had controlled his life. Remember, Elijah had had a number of extraordinary things happen, not only what happened in Mount Carmel. He'd forgotten that, apparently. How about when he was fed by the raven in the wilderness? You know, I have had an apostolic friend in India, planted hundreds of churches, a man called John Babu, and he got saved in a Hindu temple where he was, he, had, he was an alcoholic. He was a very senior in the Indian government, advisor to the prime minister. He was, uh, but he was an alcoholic. And the doctor said, you know, you've got six months to live. He had eight children. I can identify with that. And he goes into his Hindu temple and, and prays to the gods for help. And to his total shock, he hears a voice saying, I'm the God that you're looking for. My name is Jesus Christ. And the voice continues speaking to him leave this place and i will tell you more and he goes and sits on a bench outside and the lord begins to speak to him and says you're heading for a lake of fire unless you acknowledge that i am the true and living god and in that moment he got saved the lord led him to himself he went home and his life is completely changed stopped beating his wife and children he was completely healed He went on and planted hundreds of churches. Uh, But he gave up all of his security. And he was sitting there one day, some time later in his compound with no food for his family and crying out to God, God, can you please provide? And a raven came. A raven came, landed his feet and its beak was a gold coin. That was the end of his financial troubles. See, God still is the same God. He's still the God of Elijah. Where now is the God of Elijah? Elisha later said, well, he's still alive and he's still working. But Elijah had forgotten about the raven. He'd forgotten what had happened when he raised the widow's son from the dead. He was blaming God for a difficult situation that he couldn't explain, rather than assuming that God, in his sovereignty and faithfulness, had a plan. He'd allowed Jezebel to turn an incredible victory into utter defeat. He believed a lie. What was the lie? At the base of it, it was the lie that God had failed him. God has never failed any of us. We, it may look like we may go through difficult times, but God will never fail you. So the question is, What false belief or further lie made him believe that something his whole walk with God should have taught him wasn't true? And I think Elijah's basic problem, apart from his bad attitude, was he was expecting victory to come through the manifestation of power on the mountain, which is a logical expectation. But when that didn't happen, when the miracle occurred, the fire came down, the prophets of Baal were killed, But it still didn't solve the problem. He was lost because his identity worked in strength, but it didn't work in weakness. About uh, seven or eight hundred years later, another man got it right. He said, His strength is made perfect in my weakness. 2 Corinthians 12 and 9. So, Elijah was lost in his own self centered navel gazing. And when all you can see is your own disappointment, you all place your suffering at the center of your universe and you all forget who God is and what he's done for you. So God takes Elijah on Mount Sinai out of the cave and he stands him in a place on the mountain in his own presence. Now, Exodus tells us, chapter 33, that God met Moses on Mount Sinai in the cleft of the rock. Now he's meeting Elijah. I can't prove it, but I believe it was exactly the same place. There's way too many coincidences. God takes him to the mountain, makes him stand in a place just like Moses where his presence passes by. And just like Moses 500 years before, there were three manifestations of the power of God. Earthquake, wind, and fire, just like when Moses went up the mountain. But God's making a point. He's not in the power manifestations. That's the whole point of this. After all that happened, Elijah knew it. The presence of God came in. The cloud and the glory, I'm sure it passed by him just as it did with Moses. And just like Moses, it says Elijah covered his face because you can't see God and live. And then God came in a low whisper. Hebrew is a very graphic language with a small vocabulary. And the literal meaning is a thin silence. That's this message. I call it the thin silence of God. God came to Elijah in a thin silence. And in that moment, God asked Elijah the same question. What are you doing here? Elijah still hasn't got it. He just gives God the same answer. And God doesn't dignify his complaints with an answer. And neither is God going to delay putting his plan into operation just because Elijah's disobedient. God is God. He's going to move ahead whether we move with him or not. It's better if you do move with him, by the way. So God responds to Elijah's inertia with a list of commands. He says, come on, this is what I'm telling you to do. Snap out of it. I want you to do this. You're to go to Damascus and you're to anoint a man called Hazael, king over Syria. Number two, you're to find a man called Jehu and anoint him king over Israel. Number three, you're to find a man called Elisha and anoint him prophet in your place. One, two, three. And the ultimate point of the thin silence is this. Victory is going to come, but it's going to come in an unexpected way. And that often is how God works. It's not going to come through displays of supernatural power. It's not going to come through Elijah, the man of power. Elijah's missed his opportunity. God's moving on. His authority is to be handed over to three other men. Hazael and Jehu, the first two men Elijah anoints, will eventually destroy Ahab and Jezebel, which is what Elijah had hoped to do. The third man, Elisha, is going to carry on the prophetic ministry that Elijah thought was destroyed, and he's going to include 7,000 others in it, and, in, and create a whole school of the prophets. Now, take a minute to notice that Elijah had three complaints about God, three things in which he felt God had failed him, three lies he believed that led him into depression and fear. Number one, he complained that God had stood by while the people had forsaken the covenant. But under Jehu, the covenant's going to be renewed. Number two, Elijah had complained that God had done nothing while Ahab and Jezebel had killed the prophets. But by the hand of Hazael and Jehu, those who killed the prophets would themselves be killed. Number three, Elijah had complained that God had left him alone. But under Elisha, a mighty school of the prophets will arise to replace him. Never believe the lie that God has failed you victory is going to come in your life, but it just may not come the way you thought it would come. So don't walk out on God. Don't give up on God. Don't walk away from the call of God in your life because you believed a lie. Hang in there because God is going to show up. I mean, the New Testament teaches us that Elijah is a forerunner of John the Baptist. Jesus said that. But Elisha, his name means God saves. He's a forerunner of the man whose name means Yahweh saves, Yeshua. Elisha, that's why Elisha is the one who multiplies the loaves to feed the people, because he's a forerunner of the bread of life. Elisha is the one who shows mercy to his enemies. He spares the soldiers led into the city. He heals Naaman, the Syrian general. Elijah was a one-man band. Who had to be reminded that there were 7,000 others, but Elisha releases the anointing of God through his prophetic school, which is a type or forerunner of the body of Christ, because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Wonderful. True victory ultimately comes in the place of human weakness. It wasn't at Mount Carmel when Elijah was at his strongest, it was at Mount Sinai when he was at his weakest that the purposes of God were released in the earth. God's used Elaine and me prophetically and pray for all sorts of people over the years. I know we've lost track of the number of infertile couples that now have babies. The oldest is about 40 years old, lives in England, as far as I know. The youngest is a little baby. But that day, the prophetic word came to me in my hour of despair and it was just put one foot ahead of another when everything in your life looks like a disaster Jesus performed miracles John's gospel describes them as signs I teach courses on John's gospel various places the idea is that the miracles are amazing just like Mount Carmel but if you don't find Christ through the miracles they don't count for nothing most of the people who saw Jesus' miracles were never there at the cross they didn't get the point see Jesus knew victory doesn't come through the power of miracles if that was the way that God had chosen then Jesus would have called on his father at Gethsemane to send those legions of angels to deliver him from the Romans but Jesus knew that would not have accomplished the purposes of God The purposes of God were going to be accomplished through a man hanging in total defeat on a Roman cross. Yet, hanging on the cross, Jesus Christ controlled the entire course of human history. Elijah is a hero to me, and he should be to all of us. He stood for righteousness and faithfulness, and God honored him by taking him up to heaven in a cloud of glory. But we do need to learn a lesson from where he failed. God can come in ways that you and I hope for. Miracles, a healing, a financial provision, promotion at work, families coming back together, things going right, churches growing. We should pray for all those things. But those things are not the foundation of our faith. The foundation of our faith is not the miraculous, but the cross. And you and I are called to follow Jesus in walking the way of the cross. And when miracles don't happen, and it doesn't come out the way that we hoped it would, what do we do then? We don't lose heart. Because we haven't believed the lie that without a constant manifestation of the supernatural and without everything constantly going right in our lives, We haven't believed the lie that we've lost the presence of God. When things are toughest is often when God is going to show up. What we need to do is we need to learn to listen for the whisper. We need to learn to seek out the thin silence. And out of that will come the release of the purposes of God in our lives. God calls us to walk in the way of the cross. The good news, of course, is the cross is followed by the resurrection. I wish I had time to unpack this, but I'm just about done, and I'm at minus four minutes and 52 seconds. (laughs) The end is nigh, but the good news is this is the second service. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) But listen to me for a moment. It's a constant theme of the Bible that God first gives somebody a dream. Abraham, Jacob, Moses, David, Elijah, Paul. God gives a dream. He gives a prophetic word. He gives an amazing vision. He did it with all these individuals. And then he destroys it. Abraham, you'll have a son. Son doesn't come. Jacob, you'll inherit the promises of your father, and then he winds up off in a foreign country, fleeced of everything by Laban. Moses, you'll be the deliverer, and then everything seems to go wrong. David, anointed as a teenager, and then spending years in the desert. Elijah, yes. Mount Carmel, that's the victory, and then it doesn't work. The Apostle Paul meets Jesus on the road to Damascus and winds up in exile for years. God gives a dream, then he destroys it, but then he restores it. Then he restores it. It all comes out right in the end. so that the glory doesn't go to us, so that we know that God meets us in our place of desperation, carrying the garbage down the driveway, so that nobody thinks that David or Dennis or Joel is anything to speak of, but Jesus is everything. What do you do when your dream seems to die? I don't have to be a prophet this morning. To tell you that there's somebody in this room that's had a dream, that's died. That's called a buckshot word of knowledge bound to hit somebody. <laughs> it's like there's somebody here that has <laughs> has a laughing spirit come upon. Him. Somebody here has a back pain, <laughs> gee. I mean, OK. We probably all had dreams. That have died or seem to die. What do you do when your dream seems to die? Don't give up. Don't walk out on God. He's drawing you deeper to himself because he's the treasure. Your dream isn't the treasure. Jesus yeah. is the treasure. Wow. And when you engage in the way of the cross, somehow at the end of it all, there comes a resurrection. How many times Have you actually gone back to God and said, thank you, Lord, you didn't answer my prayer? Because this is so much better. My spiritual father is a man called Dwayne Hardy. He lives near Calgary. So that's got to count for something. He's not quite as good as Edmonton, but anyway. Uh, He's in his 80s now. He's in in ill health. He's on a plane this morning on the way to Uzbekistan to meet with house church leaders uh, just in a place of weakness. That's the man he is. And he said this to me, each of us needs to wrap our dreams and expectations in the burial cloth of Christ and place them in the tomb. Hmm. God will bring your vision to a place of death, but then in the tomb, he'll resurrect it so that he alone gets the glory. So my friends, when things don't turn out as you expected, when you run out of hope, While you're going down your own driveway, remember the lesson of Elijah. We can feel sorry for ourselves and give up, or we can flee to the place of God's presence and find him there in the thin silence. And then you can know that your resurrection is on the way. God bless you all.
0: Wow. What a word, hey? Thank you so much, David, for being with us. And, you know, just as as David was speaking today, if if you felt that God was tugging on your heart, if you felt something happening this morning, and maybe you're kind of realizing, hey, it's time. uh, You know, I believe in Jesus, and it's time to maybe make some changes or time to hand my life over to Him. I got good news for you. that uh, The Bible says all you got to do is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth and you'll be saved. So I just want to give an opportunity for that this morning as we close the message today. Um, if, if you'd like to pray, if you're in the room or online, you can pray with me right now. If we could all just bow our heads and close our eyes. God, thank you for just that word that you gave us this morning. Thank you for the impact it made on so many lives here today. I thank you for that person that's uh, been on a journey and they're realizing that either they wandered from you or that it's time to finally make a decision to turn their life over to you, to ask you to come into their heart. Just pray that today you're with them. Thank you that your presence is with them right now. And I'm just gonna ask uh, everybody who calls Celebration Church home, just repeat this prayer after me. And if you'd like to pray this prayer, go ahead and repeat it after me. If you're in the room or online, you can pray this prayer and your life will be changed forever. From from now on, it's the beginning of your journey, uh, a new beginning of your journey in, in your faith with God. So say, Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth and dying on the cross to pay for my sins. I believe that you are Lord and God raised you from the dead. From now on, I live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's put our hands together for all those who prayed. Thanks for listening with us today. If you enjoyed it, check out more messages like this at celebrationedmonton.com or on the Celebration Church mobile app. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can give on our website at CelebrationEdmonton.com. Come back next week to hear another great message.